TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. Back in the booth. Back in the booth. We're in Jude's room for week three of Psalms. This week it is Psalm 13. Tessa, you excited? I'm so excited. I learned something about you this morning, Tessa. I'm worried. So just for the listeners, I usually buy Tessa coffee when we end up at the same place. That's so if, true. We're, if we're setting up for church, I say, hey, I'm swinging by the coffee shop. You want something? And she says, yeah. And I get her those things. Because I don't say no. To, right. To do you coffee. know what I, but do you know what I noticed today? You never say small, medium, or large. Correct. You always say what you want. And I thought to myself this morning, I was like, you know what? I bet she doesn't want to limit my generosity by putting a size on it. So if she says small, then she will be given a small. And if she doesn't say small, I might get her a medium or a large. It's actually the opposite of that. What do you mean? Thank you so much for assuming the worst of me. (laughs) No, that was, I was assuming like, uh, you know, some. No, it's more like, I don't want to presume that they're going to buy me a certain size. Well, then why wouldn't you just say small? If you were trying to not presume, you would probably, in my mind, just say, I'll have a small because it's the smallest offering. I don't want to limit you. you. I don't want to limit me. Okay, so it is what I thought, but it's not as insidious as I thought. No. You weren't conniving, trying to work the system. No, I don't sit there thinking like, oh, if I don't say a size, he'll definitely get me something right, bigger just, than a just, small. Just for the listeners at home, I usually go medium mm-hmm. because I feel like that's a good... Large is too large. That's a lot of milk. Depends on the day. That's a lot of oat milk film in your mouth. Here's the thing, though. I usually drink it for a few hours. That's true. I sip. Do you have cups of iced coffee in your fridge right now as we speak? No. Because you finished them? Or? Yeah. You don't think I finished drinks? I think sometimes you might say, mm, this is good. I can save it for later. And then you put it in the fridge. Um, I don't usually do that. Okay. If I do, I take the ice out so it doesn't get watered down. Tessa, I also know this about Tessa. You cannot pin her down. She doesn't have one coffee drink. She's not the type of person that's going to walk into a coffee shop and be like, hey, Tess, you want the regular? Because she doesn't have a regular. Some like some days, Some days it's oat milk with honey and cream. Some days it's Americano. Some days it's a quad shot over ice. Some days it's, she's been really high on the lavender of late, but today mm-hmm. it was a lavender slash white mocha extravaganza of sugary flavors. Half the overall flavor. Yeah, which was confusing. Okay, so listeners... Tessa sends me a text message that says, I want a an unsized iced oat milk latte <laughs> with white mocha and lavender, but half of the overall flavor. Yes, because I have found that sometimes if you say half the flavor, they'll do half and half. Okay, so then I was talking to Jose, and I was like, I think that means a quarter lavender and a quarter white mocha exactly because it's half overall flavor and half Mm -hmm. of half is a quarter correct because i went to christian school and my math is really good Mm -hmm. we've talked about my god and math um college course before well we've we've uh we've set some some groundwork here hey listen in the comments below (laughs) 
you know that we don't check yeah, that and we don't check probably and don't have i don't think we even have um you know but in the we should probably figure out in the comments below tell us what your coffee drink is and maybe tessa or myself will show up to your house unannounced maybe with one, an offering. one lucky listener and guess what size it'll be large medium oh always medium although one more thing about this coffee situation small latte double shot yes don't tell me single shot in an ice it's a double shot okay medium still a double yes okay so you're getting the same amount of espresso in a small and a medium you're just getting more oat milk film in your mouth in a medium yeah and more sugar Mm -hmm. from your flavors Mm -hmm. if you are a flavored person Mm -hmm. the large however three three shots yeah that's what I say. Give me three. Yep. It's like uh, Five Guys. You know, when you order a yeah. burger and they're like, give me two. Well, for me, it would be one, but yeah. All right. We're back in the Psalms. And this, you know, Psalm, it's got nothing to do with flavored oat milk lattes. No. Sad, you just sadly. decided to reveal my preferences to people. I will say I got really into alcohol in the Bible at one point during my graduate school education. Wrote a paper on um, wine in the Bible. And let me tell you right now, spoiler alert, it ain't grape juice. No. Jesus was not drinking grape juice. No. I was dealing more with Old Testament stuff, but it got really into like, oh, what would you call that? I know that the a winemaker is called a vinter, <laughs> but I don't know what, what that noun is for the vineyard itself. But it, I got all into like, terrorist landscapes and different um ways to you mean someone who owns no just i didn't know if there was a fancier term for the winemaking process that was like related to venting (laughs) it's not that but you know what i mean it was fun i got i got really into alcohol in the bible and there were some fun passages that have some information perhaps on not only winemaking but also brewing beer vinification no is that a real word winemaking or vinification is the production of wine oh i'm definitely gonna start calling it vinification venting sounded better well yeah in my opinion um also just a little side note <laughs> vinification dogfish head in the past has done a series of beers called like ancient Oh, ain't something about ancient where they're taking like the oldest beer recipes that show up and they're trying to recreate them. So I believe um, their beer Midas Touch is based on an ancient. Oh, gosh, I think it's Chinese. Um, ancient ales. Is that it? Are you looking that up? Are you fact checking as we go? I sure am. Cool. Yeah. They, so there's some some kind of relation to. um archaeological finds there's a lot of tablets and stuff in the ancient world and some of them will have you know brewing processes uh there's a text in ecclesiastes where the author talks about throwing your bread upon the water and some people think that that's a reference to making beer in the ancient world you know like throwing your grains they're not feeding the ducks no they're not no no don't believe so don't believe so so anyway there you go Wait, what was the beer called? I think Midas Touch is one of the yeah, ancients. Yeah. yeah, it's a Midas mead. Touch Theobroma Jiahu. 
Sati. I went to, um, Kate and I went to, we did a little beer tour in Milton, Delaware a few weeks ago. So we, we went to Dogfish, which I'll go ahead and say this. If you have not been to Dogfish Head in Milton, like the, the brewery, their food is so cheap. Really? You, yeah, you wouldn't think that. We got like a huge bowl of soup and a massive sausage. I think <laughs> I think it was like a hot dog sort of situation. But I like, don't think I've been to the one in Milton. Oh my gosh, you can eat really cheap. So like that big old... there's one in Rehoboth. Rehoboth. Yeah, that's, okay. that's their brew pub. I, th- I think that's the only one I've been to. And it's not cheap. No. It's good, but it's not cheap. And the food is different. So in Milton, it's more like pubby, bar foody. So you got like a pretzel. We got a big old pretzel. Mm. We got a bowl of soup that I think changes daily. We got a big old sausage and we got some delicious brewskis. And then from there, we went a couple miles down the road to Dewey Beer's new spot in Harbison. Still haven't been there either. It's so good. Not only because they do so many beautiful beverages, but it's a really cool ambiance. You can bring your dogs there. You can. They have a nice outdoor section. Although I'll say, uh, we heard it was heated, but we were there the other day and it was like 35 degrees. Not heated. Okay. Were there people out there? Yeah. Mm. Like in big old coats. It's just like a big old wedding tent with the, with the Mm. sides pulled down. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was a wind that was whipping in there. So we we went inside. And also, one more thing. Dewey bought the space right next door that's now a pizza shop. Mm. And they got a lot of really good pizzas. The one that we selected was called, quote, that bougie, cheesy Jean. (laughs) So what you do is when you're at the, we were at the space with with our beverages, and we had to call over there, and they're like, I think it's called Pizza Machine. They're like, Pizza Machine. And I was like, hi, I would like one cheese, <laughs> cheesy, bougie, John, that cheesy, that cheesy bougie, John. Did you say Jean like that? I that sounds d- French. I know I say Jean. <laughs> I don't know. All right. None of, none of that. That's all, that's all good. Tessa and I, in our, um, in our other lives, we have a, a foodie foodie podcast that we like to do mm-hmm. on eastern shore delicacies yeah we release an episode once every uh it's actually what it's months. called eastern shore delicacies yeah mm-hmm. that would be fun there's a lot it would be fun there's a lot of hidden treasures on the eastern shore you know especially if you mm-hmm. like fried seafood yeah which i do me too i like it a lot i like it a lot <laughs> okay so we're back in psalms this is uh psalm 13 which is another lament not all of the psalms that we're going to talk it's about. it's an unlucky number. Yeah, maybe. Um, oh, the nerd in me wants to talk about the numbers in psalms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because in the, English, uh, in the English Bible, the numbers are different than in the uh, Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, because they sometimes take what is two psalms in the Hebrew text, and they combine it into one psalm. So, for example, I believe it's Psalm number 9 and 10 in the English Bible, which is based on the Hebrew mm-hmm. Bible. I believe that that is actually one long acrostic poem. So an acrostic being the first letter of a line begins with... Um, 
the first letter of the alphabet, and then the second line begins with the second letter of the alphabet, and the third, you know, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. But when you get to the end of, I think it's chapter nine, um, it ends like halfway through the alphabet, and then ten picks it up and finishes it. Why did they do that? Why did they break it up? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But see, the the Septuagint translators came along and said this probably shouldn't be two it should be one so let's group it together which means that the psalm numbers are jacked up throughout hmm. fact check me on that because I'm, I'm not sure if it's nine and ten or if it's 11 and 12 either way but so for us psalm 13 is unlucky but for the septuagint psalm 13 would not be because it would be psalm 12 gotcha interesting just really good stuff here to kick off the podcast, right? So good. So good. You could just think about that. You could meditate on that some morning, just the psalm numbers and mm-hmm. what it all means. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, one other thing about the Septuagint, they add a psalm at the very end, Psalm 151. So whereas our Bibles have 150 psalms, they add another one. Why? Which according, maybe according to their numbers, it might actually be Psalm 150, I forget. But either way, there's some there's some different differences there. And so they didn't really add any text. No, they added one. Oh. No, because the what we call Psalm 151 is a completely separate separate psalm. It's actually about David and Goliath, I believe, hmm. not in our collection of psalms. So it's you know an extra biblical text, or a deuterocanonical text, or an apocryphal text. Oh, no, oh, that, that was it. Oh Those are the only words I had. Okay, Psalm 13. It's a it's a lament psalm. Just to review, lament psalms are something bad is happening, and the psalmist is petitioning, um, pleading. If if you hear that awful hacking <laughs> in the background, it cannot be stopped. It's my dog, who is bless him, who is old, and we think has little doggy COPD. <gasps> And he's just like hacking so sad. all the time. Yeah. All the all last night. You know, he sleeps in the bedroom with us and he's just like every 30 minutes just hacking away. Maybe he has COVID. I don't think so. He's on meds. It's just not helping. Okay. Well anyway, be Psalm blessed. 13. <laughs> so it's a lament psalm. Something bad is happening. You can tell that from a, from the very outset, as you will here in a, a moment when I start reading. We do have this title at the outset, To the Leader. Okay, so there, think choir director, think music leader. Remember, this is an an editorial note that has been added to the psalm much, much, much later. This is not part of the original psalm, but somebody later said, let's add some instructions to the community so that they know what to do with this or to whom this psalm belongs. So it's to the choir director slash music leader slash director or leader. And then it goes on to say, a psalm of David. So you, what you're saying is, psalm body later edited it. Oh, <laughs> this is why Tessa's on the pod for these puns. For the dad jokes. Yep. Ironically. So you got your hat on yep. <laughs> this morning. You're in the booth with a dad hat and you're giving dad jokes. That's right. Are you wearing white New Balance sneakers? I'm not. You know... Okay. You could though. Sure. And if you did, you'd be you'd be hip. 
Yeah. To some degree. There Although, are certain fashion choices right now that I don't think I can pull off. Normcore needs to die a swift death. It was bad in the 90s. It's bad now. Okay? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long it'll be here with us. but Hopefully not much longer. Yeah. Okay. That's the 40-year-old in me saying, let's not do this again, kids. There's <laughs> do some, better. There's something better yeah. that can be done. All right. So uh, to the leader, a psalm of David, now we get into the psalm itself. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen and amen. Amen. Tessa, you like Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. I have never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie. I've only seen I've only seen the Netflix Christmas movies. Oh. Anything with Vanessa Hudgens, you know I celebrate it. Yeah, you do. So uh Princess Switch one, two, and three. And three. Yeah. You know. Within that movie genre, there's very stereotypical patterns mm-hmm. right give, give me a breakdown of what might you might find on a hallmark christmas movie um you know girl who moved away from her small town she lives in the big city now it's always a small town involved she has to return home for some reason yeah, what, what, what might it be for christmas or somebody died and she has to take over the family business yep the parents have some loans that they can't pay off yeah She's there to help out. Some debts, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Who's she going to meet there? She's going to meet, well, either she's going to reconnect with someone she knew growing up, or she's going to meet some new handyman that's in town. The handyman. Or he owns a bakery or, or something. Yeah, something, something He's crafty. <laughs> yeah, he's not just, he's not a scholar. He's not just no. sitting reading books. No, not usually. No, he's not. he's able to do things. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and that's gonna spark some romance. Oh yeah, there's gonna be romance. But it's, they'll it, probably save Christmas. I don't know. Sometimes it's gonna be a, you know, there's a stiff arm at the romance. You know, Always, it's like, there's oh, gotta be some conflict. This used to be little little Jimothy from down <laughs> the road. And he... Jimothy grew up nice. <laughs> yeah. He, he didn't look as he does now back no, then. No, he didn't. He was nerdy. Yeah, but now... Now he's... Plaid and bearded. A hunky carpenter. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the movie, what happens? Well, they get together. Under what sort of a scene? Christmas? What do you mean? Yeah, that, that's all. I mean... I mean the town is is all celebrating together for the for the eastern shore folks this is like think berlin maryland yeah quaint 
small town USA. Yep. Christmas festival, Christmas twinkly lights, trees yep. everywhere. Yep. Beautiful. Carriage rides, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Anything could happen, guys. And, and maybe the carpenter has to step in to be Santa for a night, so he's wearing like a Probably Santa suit. Probably does. It could be any of those things. He makes but, Christmas miracles happen. He loves yeah. children. Yeah, of course he does. He like goes to read to them. <laughs> yep. And that's what softens her heart when yep. she sees like, oh man, he Jimothy. Oh, he's great with kids. He's, I could have kids with Jimothy. Yeah. <laughs> Jimothy. So you've got these these things that are pretty stylized and stereotypical, and they usually coalesce into a dramatic kissy scene under twinkly lights mm-hmm. christmas is saved the family farm is paid off yep. some some kind of you know they host a music benefit to to save christmas and their grandparents property who yeah. knows who mm-hmm. knows something like that. Mm-hmm. so you've got these things that are happening now we've talked about this i believe in the past where some folks namely hermann gunkel our dear friend from the turn of the 20th century the german biblical critical scholar would say a a certain psalm genre has a stereotypical or expected flow to it. And when you think about uh, Psalm 13, it's sort of like the Hallmark Christmas movie of the lament genre. In fact, some commentators have said that this is the clearest and purest example of the lament genre, or it is, quote, virtually a paradigm, the, quote, prime or parade example, a, quote, model prayer psalm, all of these things, like they're just kind of putting on these um, these attributes that this psalm is the one that you read in order to understand what a lament psalm is because of how it flows, right? It moves from the complaint to the prayer to, at the end, I don't know if you caught this, but like this weird turn or shift or confession of trust in the midst of difficulty. So you have in the first stanza, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Life is terrible. Second stanza, do something about it. Mm -hmm. Consider me, look at me, answer me, give light to my eyes or I'm going to die and all of the enemies are going to say, you stink at being God. And then the third stanza is, but I trusted in your steadfast love. Where does that come from? I do not know. Is Do you think this is sort of like the Jesus in the garden saying, I don't want to do this, man. This is not good. If we can do this any other way, that would be preferable to what is about to happen. Yeah. But your will be done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like we use that sort of line to soften the blow. If what we want to happen doesn't happen? Well, that, that, yes. but Or also just like inner monologue. I don't like how I've just been talking to God. Oh, that seems yeah. a bit. That seems a bit strong. So I'm going to throw in some real pious stuff here. But your will be done, Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Do something. Give light to my eyes. Help me out here. But I will trust you. It feels a little forced. Okay. I like that word forced because this is part of the expected pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Remember we talked, I I don't know how much of this is going to be rehash or review, but we've, we've talked about this in the past, I believe, where these 
Psalms, it was almost like this is this is going a bit too far, but think of it like a Mad Lib. I love Mad Libs. Yeah, this is a less funny version oh. of Mad Libs, <laughs> where it's like fill in your complaint, mm. fill in your request, and then say how trust trusting you still are really in the midst make of disaster. Psalm Mad Libs now. Yes. Uh, well, maybe we'll circle back to that. Okay, great. Okay. So there, there's this pattern here, and it might feel forced. And I think for some of us, it feels forced when we're praying it. Maybe we don't want to say, but I will trust you, Lord. Maybe yeah. that, that feels a bit too far. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump down to this because I think this is interesting how people have said this. Um, you know, in, in that affirmation of trust or the vow to praise, the, the psalmist they have been complaining, maybe even more than that, they've been screaming at God. They've been demanding that God do things in really no uncertain terms. And then you get this, this shift. Um, I believe it's Walter Brueggemann and Bill Bellinger. They call this a strange freighted gap between verses four and five, right? Between the do something, or I'm going to die, and everybody's going to say how terrible you are, yeah. and then there's this space. It feels like we're missing information. Yes. Or processing, right. or Cause, something. Because the tone shifts, the mood changes, and there's nothing really in the psalm that warrants that move from complaint and plea to now trust and praise, which leads scholars to hypothesize. This is what scholars get paid to do. What a time. Guess guess at stuff. <laughs> hey, here's a here's a thought. Here's something that it, that it might be. So some think that there must be, get this, some priestly interaction after verse 4. You know, so like these psalms So in between writing Okay. The, the now, second and third, what is it? Like stanzas or whatever. Yeah, sure. The guy goes and sees a priest. Now see, okay, now this is what, we usually import psalms as prayer journal. It's like I sneak into your room right. and I take your <laughs> your Moleskine, uh -huh. which, I'm, which... Commi I'm committed to that pronunciation. Okay. I'm committed All to right. it now. Um, I've already said it. I'm going to keep saying it. It is what it is. It. You've been saying it. The Moleskine, Moleskine. <laughs> I'm going to steal it, rip out a page, yeah. and see what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. That's not what psalms are. Psalms are not pages from one's prayer journal that are meant to be private. Mm -hmm. In a private communication, you can go off the rails, right? You don't go into, do you journal? Yeah. Really? Like how consistently? Um, less consistently recently, but when you journal, I've this, been journaling this, since eighth grade. This is a side. This is a side trail here, and all the listeners are going to be privy to it. Okay. Okay. You you draw a lot of stuff. Yeah. Is that how you journal, like drawing and doodling? It's a and, combo. But sometimes you sit down and you're like, I got some stuff to write. Yeah. Is it like, this happened to me today, and I want to remember that, or this is how I feel? Both. And here's sometimes. a color to be associated it with that. <laughs> today depends. was a violet day. That's a great idea. And let me tell you why. Yeah. Okay. It's a lavender day. That's interesting. I think there's there's so much good about journaling i don't do it not a chance i kind of wish i did maybe i doubt though that i'd ever go 
I've bought a lot of them a lot of times. I doubt I'd want to go back and revisit. How much do you go back and revisit? Okay, because I wouldn't want to go back and say, like, what was I thinking 10 years ago? So that is less, because, like, when we meet, you draw mm-hmm. or you sketch or whatever. Yeah. But when you're talking to your therapist, you're are you taking notes? Yeah. Like, oh, here's a good thing I should remember. Yeah. Or okay. Or yeah, that's good. Th- that's, not, that's not even close to what Psalms is. In your journal. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I mean. Like in your in your journal, you can do whatever you want. You can draw, you can emote, you can write a song, you can free verse, you can yell, you know, in written form. You can all caps it. Really? No. Okay. Psalms think of a more like their songs that have to fit a certain format. Verse 1, verse... Maybe. What do you know about blues? Well, it's, it's, there's like a chord structure. Okay. You mean like minor chords versus major chords, or you mean like a, an actual progression? Progression. Huh. And then when you go back to them, so like a lot of blues are the same thing. <laughs> At home, you guys can solo over over my rhythm. Yes, that's great. Okay, so yeah, there. All right, and so there's a there's a progression, there's a style, there's a form, and if you deviated from that too far, people would say, "Well, that's not really blues," you know, or that's that that doesn't fit what's going on here. Same with laments. You've got the form, the raw form, which is you got to do a bit a little bit of complaining a little bit of petitioning, and then a little bit of affirming your own trust, right? So that's what happened. That's why it's like the Hallmark Christmas movie of the Psalms, because it's got this very stereotypical pattern. If you were to assign letters, so like 12-bar blues is like A-A-B, and then you go back to the A. Yeah. What would a psalm be? Oh, I don't know if you could do it quite like that. Uh, you could do that with a praise psalm because a praise psalm is invitation to praise, mm-hmm. like sing to Yahweh, reason, rationale, because Yahweh is good. Then it sometimes concludes with another call, praise Yahweh. So there you have an ABA structure. But with a lament psalm, are you saying that it, well, for this one, it sort of goes AAB? If you want to group the complaining and the petitioning, then yeah. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? ABC. <laughs> yeah. They're all sort of different. In, and even there, right, so so there is flexibility in lament because you can do some other things. But there's usually going to be that I have some complaining because my life is terrible, either because I did this to myself or because God is doing it to me or because external uh, threats are looming, enemies, foes, whatever. And then there's a ask, so then you need to do something about this Mm -hmm. or else. And then in nine out of ten, right, you're going to get that turn to to trust or praise or whatever. This Mm -hmm. this confession of like, almost sometimes there's a vow involved where it's like, if you do this for me, then I'll come back here to this place and sing you a thanksgiving because you actually answered the prayer in the way that I needed you to. You've delivered me. 
I feel so not real. I let's let's <laughs> let's talk more about that because I, I it seems like you're hitting on something where our spirituality is supposed to be more free form. Maybe. Is, is that fair like less structured? Yeah. So here, right, the the people are I mean, saying I think I think it can be both. Yes. I, I think I, there I, is a use for structured formats. Yes. So and so what they're saying here is it's a structured format some scholars anyway are saying. So somebody maybe, you know, like you. Mm-hmm. You've got some stuff going on in your life. You'd go to the temple or to whatever worship setting that you have. Mm-hmm. You pray this sort of thing, apply it to yourself, and then after verse 4, when you said, do something, a priest would then respond and say, you will be blessed, child. <laughs> and then, verse 5, you say, I will trust, Lord. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So they're saying there's no good reason for this shift, but maybe it's sort of a responsive reading Maybe it's a guided meditation. Maybe it's a scripted liturgical enactment, mm-hmm. which gets really formal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes in the Psalms, you have these things, uh, like uh, Psalm 116 is a decent example. It's, it's a different genre. It's a, it's a thanksgiving. But near the end, it basically says, I'm going to show up and lift my cup. Or I'm going to show up and give my thank offering. You know, so it's like you go and you you enact this. It's not you just say, thanks. <laughs> you go thanks. And, and you do a real sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not an animal. You yeah. just go and you maybe you dump a, dump a cup of wine on an altar or you do some sort of, you give a, uh, testimony in the community. You do something to respond in a very formal way. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening here. People say, well, maybe there's this thing in between verses four and five that happens in the worship setting that they're imagining. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Right. They're just saying, maybe. Hmm. So some people clearly have said, yeah, but we don't know that. So what are some other ideas. Well, other people say the end of the psalm is added later. Mm. So like you would end your prayer. In every case, you, that seems... The, see, they're, they're not talking generally here. This is all based on what, what I've read and seen on Psalm 13. Oh, I see. Okay. I guess, though, a lot of these psalms, it's this weird shift mm-hmm. from my life's terrible to yet I will trust you. Yeah. And people wonder, why? Where's that come from? And so maybe the thought is some of those things are added later or in hindsight. Um, Brueggemann says that there's this weight in the darkness of death. Oh, my gosh. A weight in his word, disorientation. Remember, because you've got the praise psalms, which are the core theology of Israel. Like Everything's good. W-A-I-T. Yes. Like you're waiting in the midst of being disoriented because all of the theology is not working. And then he says it's a waiting until, quote, hell freezes over. 
Wow. Which is, okay, he knows Isn't this. Isn't that an, an Eagles record? Yes. Terrible. <laughs> I that, that record came out when I was like 13 or so. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to check this out. And it was like, well, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it would be. I'm trying to think of what tracks are on there. Life in the fast lane, sure to make you lose your mind. I think Hotel California is on there too. Mm. They're just a lot, a little bit more country. Country. I mean, they're. I wouldn't call them rock and roll. What are I they? wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. It's just. It's strange. <laughs> anyway, hell is not part of the Old Testament. That's worth saying. That's a later development. All Brueggemann is saying is there's this weight that happens. There must be such a weight, he says, perhaps a long wait, because there is no other court of appeal. One must simply wait until there is a response and then a change which accounts for the psalmist's admission of trust. Hmm. I don't know if we often reflect that weight in our religious communities well, it's not even reflected in the psalm yeah that's good it, it, there's no like at least you could put like a little line in between now we we have talked about psalm 88 just to refresh mm-hmm. at least i think that we have i don't know i talk about psalms a lot and i don't know if this is like <laughs> if i'm being recorded at that moment or if it's just me you know at, at the house with abe saying like all right abe you know you know about psalm 88 right 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 Abe is my eight-year-old son. We don't usually talk about Psalms. Um, Psalm 88 is, everything's terrible. Life is worthless. I hate what's happening. You're a miserable God. My only friend is darkness, period. Hello, and darkness, my old friend. That, so I'm, I'm, I'm writing about this Psalm, and my subtitle is, Hello, Darkness, My <laughs> Old Friend, like my, yes. my little category heading, which I thought was funny. But that's... It, there is no turn to trust. So there's examples in the Psalms. Without that, it'd be like a, and it's like a Hallmark Christmas movie where the parents die and the bank seizes the farm and the carpenter says, uh, sorry, I've cheated on you with your best friend back in Chicago and I'm going to move into your flat with her. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. That is a lot. And then it just ends and there's no sequel. No one would want to watch that Hallmark movie. Someone would absolutely. I mean, that, those are like those are the best picture nominees. Okay, the real Hallmark fans would not want to watch correct. that. Correct. Yes, correct. But the movie snobs might, because like this year's the best picture uh, nominees. So many of them are absolutely gutting. You know, like mm-hmm. the Lost Daughter, miserable film miserable i hated every second of watching it oh yeah no i said that i haven't seen it yet i think it's up for best picture it was in the buzz for a long time i forget if it actually made it in there but just like at the end of it, it's like oh credits roll i hated that Ugh. no because it made me feel so so bad all that to say some people would probably like and gravitate towards psalm 88 and to be quite honest i like psalm 88 you know because it's real I think that was your word from a bit ago. This doesn't feel, Psalm 13 doesn't feel real. It feels forced because it's it's making people get to um, a place of resolution beforehand. Don't Look Up is up for Best Picture. Yeah. You could see that one coming. 
because yeah. it's got. I, I've been talking because about this with, with my friends. Commentary. Well, yeah, because you know you can't. It's very rare to have a movie up for best picture in the last 10, 15 years that isn't attached to, and I'm not using this word um, in a negative way, but it's not attached to a social agenda, mm. right? Like it's, it's, yeah. a, it's addressing a real need and it's, it's rare for movies that aren't to be up for best picture. Although even this year, there's a couple of them that are like Dune. I don't think there's a social agenda attached to Dune. It's just a fantasy film. Mm-hmm book that turned into a film i haven't seen it or read it though so i mean i assume that there's something going on there but you know it's not quite the same or uh macbeth i think is up for best picture king richard uh no no king richard is about uh the serena and venus williams dad (laughs) yeah not shakespearean no 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 i don't see macbeth on okay denzel is up for best actor Oh gosh, if you're if you're hanging it hanging in there with us, you're getting all kinds of fun <laughs> anecdotes. Okay? So fried Indeed. fried oysters on the eastern shore, oat milk, mouth film, and Ew. best picture commentary from Josh and Tessa. And half the overall flavor. Yes. Which means quarter of the of the two. Yeah, the two. Slice it. Divide I wonder it, would it be less confusing if I said, Can I have a quarter? I think that would be more confusing. I don't think many of them would know, like, Can not have... to disparage the, the employees, but, like, what's a what's a quarter of a pump then? I, oh, I, they would probably think a quarter of a pump. Be like, eek. Absolutely. Isn't that, isn't that what it is? No. Okay. Let's move no, on. there's a certain number of pumps that would be standard in a large iced latte. Yeah. Anyway. Excellent. Okay. Don't know how we got here. Now, think, let's think about this. Bergamon talks about, in, in the early 80s, talks about this costly loss of lament. If yes. lament is not included in the American church, he's writing specifically in that context, then we are at a loss because we're not learning corporately how to complain, petition, plea. Do you think, I'm asking you this, mm-hmm. do you think that Psalm 13 is teaching people in an appropriate way to lament or like as it is, or should we lop off the last two verses and say, just deal with the four? Oh, I don't know. What's your gut saying? My gut is saying, yeah, maybe lop off the last two. Now the last two lines that you said. Last two verses. Verses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This wouldn't be weird. So you have a resource like, um, the, the lectionary. Yeah. And the lectionary breaks up the Bible um, into, I believe it's a three-year cycle, and each week you're getting four different texts. So you're getting Old Testament, you're getting poetry, you're getting, uh, which is usually Old Testament stuff, you're getting Gospels, and then you're getting something else from the New Testament. And the idea is after three years of going through that, you'll get a good portion of the entire Bible, mm-hmm. which is sort of a lie. Because the editing that goes on in the lectionary is pretty audacious. So we're getting ready to start a sermon series on Job. Yeah. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the version of the lectionary that is the immediate precursor to the one that we now use, I think it had less than three passages from Job. And Job's like 
40 plus mm-hmm. chapters. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a big freaking book. And they've reduced it to three. Sometimes in the Psalms too, like um, the Psalm that talks about dashing the heads of babies against the rocks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They, they said, I don't know if that one's good for a Sunday. Let's take that bit out. So even the lectionary is making... Wait, this is in what? A psalm? Yeah. Hmm. And the lectionary editors are like, I don't know if I want to read that out loud to people. And then they say, the word of God for the people of God. Why not just Thanks pick a different God. psalm? Well, because they want to give a good feel for... By leaving out part of the psalm? That, see, that's what I mean, though. So we shouldn't necessarily feel bad about leaving out a couple of verses. I see. Okay. Because there's a precedent that's been set. And you could critique that all you want, whether that's good or bad. But sometimes, um, you know, editors are saying that one's not as helpful. So maybe it would be good for us to think these two verses on the end about like, I'll trust you. Maybe that's not helpful for the mom who just suffered a miscarriage, for the family who just heard of a really bad diagnosis, the uh, kid who's... um, being bullied the person who's wrestling with their sexual orientation gender identity like people that are in the thick of real processes that don't feel that they can utter trust maybe it's more life-giving for them to leave it off or at least to have someone say like it's okay if you hang out in this part of this for a while until hell freezes over yeah as as brugamon would say Like, you might be here for a bit. Yeah. And it's okay. I think a part of me also wonders if there should be, because you can't, you can't stay there. Forever. Forever. Even if, even if your situation isn't resolved. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was thinking about, um, you know, somebody who's, who's feeling the weight of, mental illness mm-hmm. i'm not gonna sit here and say yeah if you just pray harder yeah no nope it, that might be a thing that you have forever yeah i would love for that person to get to a place where they can say i know what this feels like mm-hmm. and i don't think it will be resolved in mm-hmm. that kitschy sort of you and you see this stuff right like on facebook instagram it's like oh just there's a there's a billboard in fact i forget what town it's in but i've seen it quite often and it basically is reducing mental illness to if you pray jesus will fix that mm-hmm. it's like no he won't that's not how life works no but i'd love for that person to be able to say i'm gonna trust you whatever that means yeah in the midst of whatever it is that I'm feeling and how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. But that might not be, it certainly shouldn't be, next day, you know, like, oh, a tragedy it's, happened. It's... I'm going to get, I'm going to paste a smile on my face. Everything's cool. Yeah. I'm trusting. Right. God's going to turn this into something great because he loves people. You know, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Like, well, well. <laughs> I, yeah, okay. So that's interesting to think about. I, I wonder if the example that of the entire psalm is less 
beneficial for people in the midst of tragedy because it might compel them to feel like I need to get here and I need to get there fast or else I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I think it's all highly dependent on who who is speaking the psalm, what they're saying about it while they're saying it. Yeah. Like if you, if someone's walking through someone, walking through a psalm with somebody, yeah. I would hope that they would say, it's okay if you're like here. I mean, even I'm thinking about this, like for, for us, for our mm-hmm. community, we could read one through four, sit for a bit, then even say, and we might wait until hell freezes over. Mm-hmm. And then we pick up verses five and six, but I will trust, you know? Yeah. Like letting people know there's a, there's a thing here, a strange freighted gap that we can't necessarily understand. And we have to hypothesize scenarios that would allow someone in, in a space of intellectual and emotional honesty to say, I'm going to trust. Because that doesn't always happen. You're not in the hospital waiting room trusting immediately all the time. You're mm-hmm. not at the funeral trusting immediately at the time. You're not like looking at the news and seeing the devastation and trusting immediately at the time. We're recording this like the day after Russia invasions, in, invades U- Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I'm certain that there's a lot of people that aren't able to say, oh, I'm cool. I'm just going to trust. Yeah. They're in the do something. Yeah. Consider me, consider us, or I'm going to die, like in a literal, mm-hmm. in a literal way. And I don't know if we need to rush any of those folks to verse five and verse six. Now, with that in mind, though, and I'm I'm not expecting either one of us to break down global politics right now because I have. Let me just yeah. let me just handle it. What what should you know? How would this how would this be easily resolved, Tessa? Go ahead. Well, I would have not gone into Ukraine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, excellent uh, commentary. Thank you. I'm sure you'll be seeing that on your news tickers as I the day goes on. Guaranteed. Now I do want to talk about that middle <laughs> section. Tessa says they should not have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the middle section of the song. The uh, the the plea, okay? Um, it says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. These are, these are imperatives here. Give light to my eyes or functionally, or I'm going to die. And also, my enemies are going to say, we win, you lose, and your God is stupid. That's a, that's a rough paraphrase, <laughs> Okay. My enemies, it says, will rejoice the, because I'm message? shaken. Message Street Remix yeah. 4.0. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't cool. want to put that on Eugene. No, no. I'll take full credit for that. Okay, good. All right. Do we know how to do this? To plead? Like that. There's there's no sugarcoating here. Yeah. It's sort of like hand-wringing, fist-shaking, tear-inducing... Desperate desperation happening. Do it. Yeah. I I have a few things happening in my mind. <laughs> One is I think sometimes we know how to do that. Yeah. Another is I think sometimes we're afraid to do that because if we do that and then nothing happens. I don't know. I think there's a sort of a fear around pleading like that and then nothing happening. Like, okay, what does that mean? 
yeah, God's not real, God doesn't listen, prayer is stupid, Mm -hmm. any of those sorts of things. Yeah. Or I feel ridiculous because I just put all that out there and then didn't work out anyway. Okay. And, And for me, this is bringing up the situation from a few years ago when really well-known American church suffers a tragedy in oh. one of in one of their worship leaders yeah. having a child. I forget how old the child was. Young. It was like two or three, I feel like. Years old? See, I don't even remember if she was that old. L- look that up. See if we can get a, get a date on that. Sickness happens. Child dies. Like, child pronounced dead in the hospital, by the coroner, whatever's happening. Church rallies and commits themselves to prayer. She was two. Two. Because they believe that their prayers will occasion a resurrection of two-year-old child. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, look... I can't, first of all, I can't imagine, and I'm not wanting to throw stones inside of my glass house to say, you should have done X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Right. Who knows what we would be doing if, if you were in that situation or. And clearly, like my, my kids are like my very heart and soul. Mm -hmm. I said this to Abe this morning, like we, he, he and I were having it out. I was like, you are like. My love for you is deeply embedded in the very soul of my being. Mm-hmm. It's in my essence. Mm-hmm. And he started smiling. <laughs> but I hope that, that that sunk in. Like yeah. it's, I would do anything for these kids. So I can't, I can't say what I would or would not have done. But on the outside looking in, you're thinking, what? Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking, grieve. You're thinking, don't, and it was days that they did this. I was also thinking, like, where is this poor girl's, like, where's her body right now? There was a lot going on with that, with that situation that was strange. Yeah. But the community was seemingly dead set on hoping against all reason and rationality Mm -hmm. that God was going to do something completely insane. Mm Mm-hmm. And God did not. Mm-hmm. So now, and because this church is famous, mm-hmm. it was very well publicized. Yeah. And it was like hash, I mean, there were hashtags the world. that were going for it with them, yeah. praying. So we're all sitting here praying. Um, and I say we all, that that's not true. So some people were praying for this crazy thing to happen, and it doesn't happen. And then you have to wake up the next day and say, now what? Yeah. Either I was so self-deluded in thinking that this is a potential or God's not all powerful or God is choosing not to hear me. Like you have, then you have to go to step two and rationalize why this thing wasn't actually answered in real time. When I think they were, this was going on for, I think it was like a week. It was, it was days at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, and the whole thing is just heartbreaking, and you want to support the family, but also, like, is this the best way to support the family? Yeah, lots of unanswerable questions yeah. that I'm sure that we have thoughts and opinions on. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know what we would do in a given situation. But when you look at it theologically, I think those sorts of prayers put your back against the wall, and then it forces you to say like, oh, well, God didn't want my child to live, Mm -hmm. which is a gutting thing to say and i imagine god would say now wait a second that's not exactly what what has happened here you know what i mean like you have to then create these theological explanations that sometimes defy reason and rationality my family member dies because of really terrible illness Mm mm-hmm God must have done that right. for this purpose. Well, Which is you know, so let's, problematic. let's pump the brakes here and kind of back up. Because again, I'm thinking God might be saying, well, not exactly what's happening here. Yeah. I'm not inflicting diseases on people right. for certain outcomes to happen. Right. There's a g- big difference between God doing something for a reason and then there being something good coming out of something. Yeah. Right. We we talked about that last time about, yeah. you know, like squeezing the yes. squeezing yeah. the lemon. Making the lemonade. You can't <laughs> gosh, and you can't talk about kids dying and no. then and then transition to no, lemonade. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> there is no lemonade. No. None whatsoever. No. I would see that more as God sits Shiva with you for however long it takes. There is no lemonade. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I that as a theological statement, I don't know how it sits with me right now. But the alternative is just so impossible for me to wrap my brain around. The alternative being that God has inflicted these things? Yeah. yeah. Can't I can't do that. No, who would want to believe in that God? Right, that... that that becomes Although the issue. plenty of people do. Correct. I was just getting ready to say that. Actually, a lot of people do because they want that sort of vision and version of God to, to exist. And some people I don't think have much problem. They don't feel their back against the wall mm-hmm. as much as other people do. Like, I don't think that church necessarily, I don't think the majority of the people there, and this is pure speculation, but I don't think the majority of the people there were thinking, well, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. Because they've been there before and that's how they do faith. And that's how they, you know, sing their songs and preach their sermons and how they believe in this version of, of a God that they can pray to for these sorts of things to happen. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that maybe there's this in-between from that and the ardent plea of consider, answer, do something where you don't feel like, and if you don't, then you're on the hook. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of examples in the Bible, too, that I think further complicates this. There's examples in the Bible of people demanding God's action. You know, like the story of the golden calf is one that I go to often in Exodus 32. In this story, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. He's receiving God's instructions, like the the law code, and the people are down below waiting for Moses to come back. And it takes a while And when it takes longer than they think it should, they begin burning their gold earrings or whatever, anything Mm -hmm. that they have, and they cast an image of their God at 
Aaron's request. Aaron, Moses' brother, Aaron, who's pretty well attuned to the theology of the time, is not creating a just a fake idol saying, oh, this, this golden calf is what brought us out of Egypt. They're making a representation of um, the God that they believe in. But this is not looked upon with any sort of positive vibes <laughs> from God. Not good vibes. So God basically says to Moses, hey, go down and get, quote, your people yeah. because they're making me mad and I'm going to kill them all. Mm -hmm. And Moses then steps in and says, you can't, you can't, you do, can't that. do that. Yeah. Same thing. You could go back to um, the Sodom and Gomorrah text, right? God's like, I'm going to destroy this place. And then Abraham argues him down. Like, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What about 30, 20, 10? Like he just keeps whittling the number down. Ironic that he's sort of playing devil's advocate. Who? Abraham? Yeah. Well, in the sense of like they're they're bartering. Yeah. Right? So there's these these sort I of I mean, I just mean in the sense that like, okay, what if it were this? Then what do you oh, like yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not actual right, right, yeah. devil's advocate. Yeah. But we have these examples where people are like having dialogues with God to get God to do different things. In the in the golden calf story, it even says that God, uh, most English translations would say God relents. Whenever you see the word relent, it, an easier translation I think would mean God changes God's mind. I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's been some time. Um, he won't relent. Yeah, for, for reasons that are related to other things that we've already spoken about in this <laughs> podcast. Uh, we haven't sang that song in quite some time. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like God changing God's mind, and then we, we bring that into our prayer. Like, is it possible for me to command God to do something and God actually does it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know I, either. I don't know. Because you hear these conversations about like, oh, well, prayer is... And you hear them from like really spiritual people, you know, like a Richard Rohr type or a Thomas Keating type or a, a like a mystical person who's basically saying like prayer is about the prayer changing their disposition. Right. I, I think C.S. Lewis is in this, in this same sort of camp. And then you have these stories in the Bible that are like, well, actually prayer is about changing God's disposition and getting God to do something different. But we don't have many of those four instances in our life because we're not the type of community that's praying for little children to be resurrected. So then we're kind of left with, well, then I guess prayer is just for me. Mm -hmm. And then it feels pretty empty. Yeah. I think both are limited definitions of what prayer is i think that's that's fair but this i'll be honest that prayer is always something that just hasn't i don't understand it to the depths that i wish that i could mm -hmm. and i usually end up saying things like oh, i'm not very spiritual mm -hmm. i don't really understand this i don't get it mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and there's a, there's truth in that but i hope that it's not just 
about me awakening or me putting my ego to death or me, um, you know, changing my own disposition. But then when you add that piece of you can actually barter or advocate or get God to change God's mind, then you, again, you swing the door open to, but what about when you don't? What about when it doesn't work? Right. It like it, it then very quickly just puts God back on the hook for any number of tragedies. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with that. No. If you do, drop a comment below. <laughs> <laughs> Along with your favorite coffee yeah. drink. Coffee drinks. Yeah, we've got a couple couple things here. I do I do think that within our communities, it would be good to hear those ardent petitions and try to figure out how to incorporate that. An easy way, uh, I mean, oh, it's always easier, I think, to advocate for other people than for yourself. So, you know, you've got Ukraine on the hook, mm -hmm. and you've got this Russian invasion and a bunch of military things that are happening. It's easier to say, consider them, answer their prayers, give light to their eyes, don't let them die. Yep. But maybe that just feels easier because we're detached. I don't know many people in Ukraine. Mm -mm. I think zero is actually is the actual that number. That might be my number also. Yeah. Ah. Uh, oh. Uh. <laughs> uh. I think the important thing is to not think that prayer is one extreme or the other. I don't think it's totally for us. I don't think it's totally like if you pray about it, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Because it's not. And I think another takeaway is, and I, this is a terrible pastor confession. Mm. All of this theology has led me to a place where prayer is really difficult now because I feel like I have no freaking idea what's going on. You know? So, like, I got into, and I need to, I, I want to pick this up again. But I got really into centering prayer. I think that might be a fair way of saying that, even though I feel like really into it is selling myself a bit you know, loftier than you actually was. You get to say okay, if fine. you were into I, I it was or not. desirous yes. that this would be a thing and a staple and a practice in my life. Mm -hmm. Centering prayer um, in very easy layman's terms would be a spiritual practice recommended twice a day where you're sort of meditating for at least 20 minutes and allowing all of the thoughts in your mind just to kind of float on by. It's not necessarily a removal of your thinking where you're thinking about nothing, but it's just allowing the thoughts to go and then you kind of sink down into deeper levels of self-awareness and ideally, if I'm understanding it correctly, an awareness of the divine in you. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Right? I was just thinking yesterday about that program, and I need to pick it back up too. Right. So Tess and I, uh, we, we jumped on board with the main um, you know, advocate for this was Father Thomas Keating, who sort of popularized this. I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that he created it, but he popularized it in the 70s or so. And a lot of the, I don't know if this is a term, but like the new mystics have sort of gravitated to this because it's less, okay, God, here's a list of my things that I need and more of a meditative practice where you're becoming uh, aware of your connection 
with mm -hmm. God. Yeah. And you're observing things that are going on in your life in a more objective way. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, also, um, you know, like once you get into the practice, and I, I don't think I ever really reached this stage, but like the things that float on by, so mm -hmm. to speak, like you, you get down to different levels and of your inner psyche. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> and like the things that come to mind, then people would say, maybe float on by. Yeah. But pay attention to the things that are coming up because there might be some sort of therapy mm -hmm. that's happening mm -hmm. in the midst of this practice. But anyway, like I would do this and for 20 minutes, I'd just kind of be thinking like, Am I doing this right? Is this is this helpful? Am am I getting anything out of this? Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't think about what I'm getting out of it. That's that's too selfish. I should just be sitting here. I should oh. not. I should not be thinking. What's this little boat of thoughts <laughs> floating by? What's this little, little thing? Little boat of thoughts. You know, and I just I really had a hard time. And sometimes, you know, I might fall asleep or who knows, trance out, blackout. I don't know what it was, but like when that chime hit at the end, I was like, what was that? Not like what was the chime, but like. What was, what, was, <laughs> what was that? Like, what was this experience? Yeah. Because it's so foreign to how I was taught. Like, when you pray, uh -huh. go into your prayer closet. Yeah. Shut the door. It's a very and, active and, thing. Too. Yeah. And then you do, and then you do the, you do the joy, right? Jesus, others, yourself. Oh, I've never or you heard do, of this. Or you do the, um, you know, those little acronyms. No. Like, first you give, first you praise, then you give thanks. Go do then, 10 Hail Marys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Catholics are not cool, but then you do these things. And yeah. it's the same for a lot of Christians and how they approach stuff. But all that to say, like, I just, mm, I don't know. And for the last three or four, five, 40, I don't remember, I don't know how many years, but it's like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I think centering prayer, you need to give yourself some oh. slack because. It's a practice. I mean, it's an actual it's a practice yeah, that you have time. to get over time. You have to right, and so that's why I would say, like, I know fully. I know full well that I had no idea what I was doing mm -hmm. and didn't give it enough time. And if I were to practice for months and months and months and yeah, months, yeah. then I think I would start to understand it. And you know, honestly, it wasn't like I'm not getting anything. I quit. It was. Am I even doing this right? What? But it wasn't that. It was just oh. like. 20 minutes i gotta do this thing you know oh, what i mean so uh -huh. it, it became you know it's very american it became it's it's not on my to-do list i can't do it or yeah. i'm late i have to go here i can't sit in a chair for 20 minutes mm -hmm. or if you do that before you have to go somewhere you're thinking like and all too many boats are flying by mm -hmm. that's the image that they use by the way is like your thoughts are on boats and yeah. the boats float you're by just the, you're the observing the thoughts from yeah. yeah while you're trying to sink down like get out and you get down into See, the, I don't what do they call that, that? The, um, the, the something space, the, I don't remember. All I can think of now is station 11 and the undersea, which, I don't know what that which is. is, uh, gosh, that show and that book were so good. So good. Okay. I do think that there's something to learn here from the Psalms specifically in the sunken place, sunken place. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably not the best no. image for centering prayer. Probably not. Probably not. Definitely not. But there, there might be things that we can, we can take from. Get out. <laughs> well, <laughs> just kidding. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. also. Um, 
side note, while we're here, if you haven't seen the editor's or the director's cut of the ending of Get Out, oh, yeah. get on YouTube yeah, and search that because, man. Is it on YouTube? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think so. It might be bootleg copies that are now deleted, but mm-hmm. it's worth your time and consideration. I bet you could even find interviews with actors talking about the... I know you can find interviews with Jordan Peele talking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. He's got a new movie coming out this year. Yeah, he does. I'm excited. What's it called? Do you know? Nope. No, it's called Nope. It's actually yeah, called I'm Nope? Sure, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. Um, one other thing that we should say here, too, uh, in the beginning, in the complaint, you get a good picture of how Psalms operate. Psalms are based on biblical Hebrew poetry. And one of the mechanisms in Hebrew poetry is something called parallelism. When we read a line like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We usually think same thing two different ways, right? Like, oh, this is just... This is flowery language that's all the same, and it's saying the same thing, and that's just how they did it. So we wouldn't see much of a difference between that first half of the line and the second half of the line. However, in the 80s, a scholar from Harvard named James Kugel, I would say, I, I think it's fair to say that he revolutionized the field of biblical Hebrew poetry by postulating that the point of parallelism is not for lines, for the half lines to be synonymous with one another, or even for the, for the lines to, to say completely different things, like contrasting. You'll see that sometimes in Hebrew poetry. But he says the lines are related to each other, and there is a furthering from the first half to the second half. Like the second half will move the point beyond the first half, which I think is a genius way to to think about what's going on because then it's not, oh, it's saying the same thing twice. It's a movement. It's an intensification. It's a forwarding. So Kugel says uh, of the lines, A is so, meaning A, that first half of the line, A is so, and what's more, B is so. Mm -hmm. So there's this connection. Every song in a musical is supposed to move the plot forward. Oh, yeah? Okay, so so. that would be like a macro structure where the Mm -hmm. first song moves to the second song. Yeah. Yeah. This is like in the poetry itself. So Mm -hmm. think about it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, I'm going to read that second half, and I want to, Tess, I want to see if you can see how that second half is furthering or intensifying what's happening in the first half. Mm-hmm. First half. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Think about the verbs. Forget, hide. Mm. So the first line's more passive. Yeah. The second is intentional. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, so they're like, the psalmist is moving from God, you've forgotten about me. I'm not in the forefront of your thinking. And oh, shoot, you know, you just kind of mm-hmm. got busy. Out of sight, out of mind. You got busy doing other things. Yeah. 
not out of sight because God's omnipresent. You got. Mm. Um, was, I that, don't that was, even. I that don't. Was, that was theology jokes. Um, <laughs> so like, and also like, you could just think about the the anthropomorphism in God forgetting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so the psalmist is using this language that makes sense to us. It doesn't really make sense about to God. Is it possible for God it's to even... forget? A person hide is wait forget is the first one yeah and then it moves to hide mm-hmm. right so that, that that's the thought process is in the words that make sense to the psalmist god's forgetting mm-hmm. out of sight out of mind mm-hmm. uh just kind of back burner got busy doing other things mm-hmm. i need you to show up mm-hmm. second half how long are you gonna hide from me yeah you jerk face mm-hmm like you see me in Walmart and you duck around the other <laughs> aisle, you know, yeah. like you saw me yeah, and you just went into home goods because you didn't want to have to speak to me. Walmart and home goods are not close to each other. I mean like the home goods section of Walmart. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm talking, I'm talking a super center here. Oh, okay. You know, great, we got great, food, great, great. we got yes. home goods, we got electronics, <laughs> we got all the stuff that you need to survive in American society in Walmart. Mm-hmm. But like that. Isn't that a cool way? So it's not, you know, when you read real quick, it's like, oh, yeah, forgetting for hide, whatever. I've never thought before about that format. Yes. And so, like, there's this movement, there's this furthering, there's this this dynamism that's happening in the poetry, and you can see it uh, really clearly. What are the, do you know what the original verbs are? By any Um, chance? No. Okay. Why? I'm just curious. How the translation compares to the... Oh, good. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, you, you can take my word it's, on that. It's good. I'm sure that the word... I, they're just escaping my mind right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the forget word is a, is a it's word a good that's translation. pretty... Yeah, pretty gotcha. common. And the hiding word is a... It's a hiding... And there are no other contexts. No, no, no. Okay. I, I think that this is a really good translation and it, it helps to clarify. Now, a lot of times in poetry too, you'll get some wordplay... You'll get some assonance. Always love some assonance. Assonance? <laughs> you know, like alliteration, same kind of same kind of word sounds. I think it's the same. Google me because I'm not sure now if I, if I know. Not me, but assonance. I think it's about the How word sounds. How many S's does that? Assonance. I think it's C-E at the end. Two S's. I'm trusting the internet to be faster here. Assonance. Yes. In poetry, the repetition of sound or vowel. Boom. Or diphthong. Boom. In non-rhyming stress symbols, syllables, sorry, near enough to each other for the echo to be discernible. Right. So in, in Hebrew, there's a lot of words, you know, that are, that sound the same, but their English translations don't sound the same. Mm-hmm. So then the English translator has to make a choice. We lose that. Mm. There, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in Hebrew mm-hmm. that we lose um, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Another example of, because we're thinking about Job here in this next sermon series, that's a good one, is when all the stuff hits the fan in Job's life, he says, he prays, um, the translation that I have in my mind is, is Robert Alters, and he says, annul... The day of my birth. Mm. And then the second half is he goes from the birthday to the conception day. Oh. Right? So it's it's a movement from 
I wish, basically, I wish that I wasn't born. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wish that I wasn't even conceived. Yeah. So like, I wish that I didn't show up in the world. In fact, I wish that I wasn't even in my mother's womb for nine months. That's how terrible this is. See yeah. the, see the furthering there, the pushing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, and so within Hebrew poetry, you get a lot of that sort of stuff that moves the, the progression from A to B as far as the lines go. And you can see how this sort of plays out. So I would encourage people as they're reading stuff, not just to think, oh, it's the same and think instead. This is why nuance is important. Yeah. Because the, because these Hebrew poets are genius, mm-hmm. you know, like they're really good at their craft we don't usually allow them to be that good because we want to get to the point. So mm-hmm. like going back to a couple weeks ago, we were talking about art and how the point of art is often lost on people because they just want a tomato mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. depiction. The biblical poets aren't after tomatoes. They're after so much like the experience, the uh, like the feelings, the emotions, like they're moving people along and for folks that are acquainted with the language and also acquainted with poetry a little bit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They can see how that how that progression moves. It's almost like experiencing something with one sense and then experiencing something with yeah. all five. Yeah. And then think about it too. Like if you're reading the Hebrew, which I'm not making an argument for people to learn Hebrew, but if you're reading the Hebrew, you can hear like the word play. So it's mm. about word play. It's about furthering from one half line to the other half line. It's about all of this deeply embedded theology. It, man, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should mention this too. Kugel says in his book, it's called the... Um, what is it called? I don't know. <laughs> Biblical Hebrew poetry? I don't remember. The only the only book that's coming to my mind is the one written by Robert Alter, and there's actually like a big feud between the two. Because, <gasps> because Alter's book came out like three years later, and he said the same thing that Kugel did. So And people know Robert Alter more than they know Kugel, oh, so Robert no. Alter gets a lot of the credit for something that Kugel came up with, and Kugel doesn't like Alter because... Like there's this, this little mini feud... The idea of biblical poetry. Right, and he would say... Parallelism and its history. Right, he would say the idea of biblical poetry is actually, it's the entire thing, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, even in the narrative, there's there's height... Dang it. It's it's literally right next to my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you went for the paperback because the hardcover is like 70 bucks. Uh, The paperback ain't cheap either. All right. 27. Oh, really? Everybody, you should go go out and get it. James Kugel, The Idea of Biblical Poetry. Um, it might be a slog if you don't know Hebrew, (laughs) but, but anyway, he says like there's, if poetry is just heightened language, narrative demonstrates that too. Hmm. I would also, this is fun. I think this is the last thing. (laughs) If you look at your English Bible, poetry is, is offset so that there's a lot of white space. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, like you go to the book of Psalms and there's going to be a lot of white space on the page because it's set up as a poem. Mm -hmm. Flip through some of the narrative books and see when the author or the the translators decided to make the text poetry. Hmm. It's not different on the page in the Hebrew text. It's just the translator saying, I think this is poetic. Hmm. 
And so what Alter is saying is the whole thing's got some poetry vibes to it because it's all heightened language, which is neat. And it helps you to think there's a lot going on in this text. Yeah. And it's not my, my, uh, one of my professors used to say, there are no free motifs, Mm -hmm. meaning everything matters. Yeah. Not because there's some like, you know, Jesus hiding under a, a bush in the Old Testament, but because these guys it's intentional. And, and girls weren't stupid. Yeah. They were writing things that are absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. and moving, and we reduce it to a 10-minute devotion. Yeah. Or a single verse of the day. Or, a, or a Facebook meme yeah. that gets shared. With a mountain. Yeah, it's too bad. All right, well, there you go. Um, Next week, guess what? What? We're not. Actually, I was going to say we're not doing a lament, but I think we are. But the point of the lament next week is actually going to be about sea monsters and dragons (laughs) and sea creatures that are mythical. Mythical I love it. Leviathan, seven-headed leviathan. Loch Ness Craziness. Monster. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I had a um, volleyball jacket in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my friend's last name was Ness. So hers said Loch Ness and mine said Loch Ness. <laughs> All right. It's the Loch Ness Monster. Peace, love, and equality. Oh. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> if, uh, if you played middle school or high school volleyball and you had a team jacket... Just comment below and put mm-hmm. what put what you had what your name was on your team jacket. Team jacket, your favorite coffee drink, and what was the other one? Uh, something crazy like prayers that haven't been answered. <laughs> I don't think that's what it was. It was but dark. Hey, it was deeper. I if think that's what you got. Yeah, it was. It was. Something. We'll take it. All right. Catch you on the flip side, not to be confused with the slip fide or the flippity. <laughs>